97.9 The Hill, WCHO, and the UNC Hustman School of Journalism and Media present Sports Focus with Charlie Tuggle. Sports Focus, dedicated to in-depth examination of issues of overriding importance in the sports world. Each week, we'll discuss problems and look for solutions in professional, collegiate, and amateur sports. From Carroll Hall on the Carolina campus, here's your host, UNC journalism professor, Charlie Tuggle. Welcome to Sports Focus. Our topic today, two recent major decisions by the NCAA and the reactions to them. Our guest, Mark Edelman, professor of law at the City University of New York. Mark, let's start with uh, the uh, ruling about names, images, and likenesses of players. And uh, anytime you're, you, you know, you're looking up, trying to do some research on stuff like this, and the articles all begin with making sense of the NC2A ruling. So that's why you're here, is to help us understand what does this mean? Well, in essence, at this precise moment, uh, nothing has changed. Uh, We got a large number of newspaper articles and press releases that make statements like the NCAA is going to grant college athletes greater rights over the name, image, and likeness. And that was the headline uh, of the NCAA's press release. The reality was that while this would have been a simple fix, Uh, What followed their bold headline was a 31-page memo. And if you read the memorandum, by the time you read the whole thing, the NCAA says, well, we're still not going to allow college athletes to sign group licensing deals. And they purport to dislike the sneaker industry for purportedly targeting athletes before. So even though the NCAA member schools continue to have huge endorsement deals with sneakers, They say the college athletes cannot have deals with sneakers. Uh, And then they say that if the college athletes want to sign endorsement deals of more than a minimum value, they have to go through a whole bureaucratic process and get it approved by their school. But the process is not available yet, so they can't endorse products yet. At the end of the day, what the NCAA really did was made very liberal or modest forms that no endorsement rules, which are undeniably a small step in the right direction. Uh, but would give the college athletes uh, far fewer rights and far less control of their own marketing of their names and likenesses uh, than the bill that passed in California effective 2023 uh, or the bill that's currently on the table in Florida. And Mark, several other states are considering similar legislation, and, and some pundits have said this is the proverbial gun to the head of the NC2A, and it had no choice but to act in this regard. But it sounds like what you're saying is, has it really acted, or, or is it more of a smokescreen or just, as you said, just a small step in the right direction? Well, it's important to understand what the NCAA is. Uh, the NCAA is a trade association Uh, composed of 1,200 member colleges. Uh, In fact, uh, it is probably one of the most powerful trade associations in the world. In terms of lobbying power, uh, one could reasonably debate whether it's the National Rifle Association, the National College or the NCAA, Um, but the educational schools, the colleges, and especially in the area of athletics, have incredible, incredible lobbying and bargaining power. What the California bill and other bills attempted to do uh, would have been put the NCAA in a situation where they could not deny these additional rights to college athletes. Uh, So we have a few things that are going on here. Uh, First, this is message control. 
not only was it probably inevitable that college athletes would have greater rights anyway once these bills went into place, uh, but it's also very important for the NCAA to present itself uh, as this liberal forward-leading organization, uh, as opposed to the way it acts sometimes, which is a trade association that colludes the benefit of athletic directors and head coaches in the detriment of athletes. So this was an opportunity for the NCAA to say, we are making these changes, uh, which is half true. Uh, they did make them, but they only did it because they were compelled by state law. And at the same time, by the NCAA taking control of this and saying, we're doing it ourselves, uh, it was an interesting strategy where what they intend to do is actually far less than what the states are proposing. Uh, but by them acting first, I think they're hoping that it might be able to use this to get the states that want them to do more off their backs. Uh, and then also the push for legislation, uh, in essence, saying uh, what we've done has to be done, but nothing more should be allowed. So, Mark, let me ask you about Paul Feinbaum of ESPN, who basically said that the NC2A did what it did because it had to. And this is the beginning of the end, more or less game over NC2A. Uh, I don't think this is game over in any which way. Uh, in essence, uh, if you look at the battle between rights between employees, uh, or if you prefer the college athletes uh, and the NCAA member schools, and if you look at it as a tennis match, uh, this might've been a single point the way that went the, the way of the athletes. It's a very, very mild reform. Uh, and I think the benefits of the reform are greatly overstated. Now, with that said, this is still important. It's still important because the NCAA had to capitulate to make a very small step in favor of college athletes. And I would agree with Paul Feinbaum that this is a big win for the athletes if you just read the headlines uh, of what the changes were or the way the NCAA describes them. Uh, but if you look at them in the reality, you know, it's really a lot more limited uh, than the way it's being presented. And the NCAA really didn't move the needle too far. Uh, so unless Paul Feinbaum believes that this little, little push uh, will trigger additional changes, uh, I don't know if we should get so excited yet about a 31-page memo that will allow college athletes to endorse a limited number of products, working with a limited number of agents, uh, subject to a large bureaucracy. It's a step in the right direction, but game over seems a bit much. Sports Focus, we'll be right back. You're listening to Sports Focus with Charlie Tuggle, and now back to the show. Welcome back to Sports Focus and our discussion with Mark Edelman about uh, two big rulings by the NC2A. Mark, let's jump over to the next one, uh, the plan for the return of college sports, which college sports fans have been missing. It's titled Core Principles of Resocialization of College Sports. And I'm glad we have an attorney because it's another one of these, what are they even saying? An attorney wrote this because it, it's convoluted for the average guy. Well, even though we've just switched topics, you know, the two topics go together beautifully uh, and epitomize the NCAA's way of presenting themselves. Uh, a few moments ago, we talked about what should have been a very easy issue. Instead of this one paragraph addition to the bylaws, we got 31 convoluted pages. So it shouldn't be surprising to us that the same trade association 
that can move forward with a one paragraph simple principle about what to do with college sports in the era of COVID, instead issues a long convoluted memo. Now, I'm a big believer that it doesn't matter where you went to law school or how educated you are. If you can't communicate a point in clear English where it makes sense to the reader, you either A, don't have a point, or B, are intentionally trying to hide the reality of what you want to do. And my belief here with respect to the NCAA is if you pull away all their fancy wording and bells and whistles and confusing language and contradictions, what they want to do is leave the door open to have the commercial college sports that they make a lot of money from operating, even if some of these schools don't have their own student athletes back in the classroom because it's found to be dangerous based on COVID, uh, which is an absurdity. And you can't say that simple one paragraphs out there to people without a common, reasonably intelligent person saying this is an absurdity. So instead, we get complications. So now the NC2A has come out and said it will not mandate a uniform return of college sports. It's like, how could you possibly say that, right? That we will mandate a, a, a because what if Florida is open and California is not? How can you? So it's like you say you're stating the obvious and uh, try to make that sound like you're forward thinking, uh, or am I over over reading this? You know, when you look at the NCAA overall, it gets more interesting. Andy Schwartz was a sports economist uh, who's repeatedly testified against the NCAA at a very interesting point on Twitter last night. Uh, the point that he made was it's ironic that the NCAA continues to say that we need uniform rules and uniform state law about college athletes being able to endorse products because everything needs to be the same for every school which in the beginning is a questionable point the NCAA has made. And now the NCAA is saying with respect to the pandemic, we don't need a one size fits all situation. So the NCAA is a little bit stuck between a rock and a hard place in that they've spent the past several years lobbying and advocating that every school needs to adopt the same rules in the same way with respect to sport. Uh, but because many schools wanna make revenue off college sports and their governors are allowing uh, return to school and return to play. Uh, the NCAA has to deal with these schools that want to continue to make money off college sports and their college athletes, even when others are not allowed to uh, under state closure. So why even make that statement? Why say we are not going to mandate? What's the purpose behind making that statement? Uh, well, first, I do not work at the NCAA. So, I mean, <laughs> the question you're asking me is to try to get into the brain of somebody else. And I can't tell you definitively what they're thinking. Uh, I have some hunches, but I can't tell you for certainty what anyone else thinks uh, when they don't share that information. What's your uh, best think, hunch? I think part of it is the NCAA, despite the fact that the NCAA continues to operate as a commercial cartel for big time sports that makes money off the back of college athlete labor, uh, they continue to like to present themselves as this deep-thinking, liberal, academic association uh, that knows what's good for the parties involved. And with certain real hot topic issues, uh, whether it be um, gender equity in bathrooms, 
uh, for transgender individuals, which was hot a few years ago, uh, or whether it be how to end the pandemic. Uh, it's important to the leadership of the NCAA to say something and get in front of these issues so they can present themselves as thought leaders, even when they don't have a thought. And for the NCAA to ignore the pandemic issue, uh, it placed them at the risk of first, not being able to control the message with respect to their 1,200 member colleges. Uh, second, not being able to control the message when they go to lobby Congress about other things. And third, looking like laggards instead of thought leaders. Uh, so in a way, what they're doing is great. They're trying to get ahead of the issue. Uh, but unfortunately, they really don't have much to say. Sports Focus, we'll be right back. You're listening to Sports Focus with Charlie Tuggle. And now, back to the show. Welcome back to Sports Focus. We're talking with Mark Edelman, who is a professor of law at the City University of New York about uh, several things the NC2A has decided. And Mark, originally I said we're going to talk about two. Let's talk about three. Uh, what about the return of spring sports specifically? Uh, spring sports athletes have been granted another year of eligibility, but the NC2A sort of backed off of in, uh, any responsibility, I would say at that point, okay, but it's entirely up to the conferences and the teams, the schools, how you make this work. Was that an abdication of responsibility? Well, I, I think a lot of this comes back to understanding what the NCAA is. Uh, and without beating a dead horse, if there's one thing that I hope the listener walks away with at the end of the fall, is that the NCAA is not this divine entity uh, that single-handedly makes rules. Uh, the NCAA is a private trade association of 1,200 member schools, and it's a bottom-up trade association, which means that for all major rules, it's voted upon by each of the schools, uh, even for things such as maintaining the current president of the NCAA. Uh, that is voted upon uh, by the schools itself. Um, so the NCAA is just really this overall body that's the will of all the schools. Now, there are certain times uh, when each school wants to make sure that we have a set group of rules that everybody follows, because they know under a prisoner's dilemma, they wouldn't follow the rule unless other schools did as well. So endorsement deals and paying athletes is one of them. Uh, pick any school that you want. The University of Michigan maximizes its revenues uh, if no college athlete is allowed to endorse products. But if they believe that Ohio State is going to allow their athletes to do so, Michigan wouldn't want to lose top athletes to Ohio State, so they would do it as well. So when the NCAA comes in and passes these universal rules, like you cannot pay college athletes, or you cannot allow your college athletes to endorse products, it's because that is a situation where all of the individual schools are going to vote for the universal rule based on this notion of prisoner's dilemma. Uh, by contrast to that, there are sometimes issues in which member schools have very strongly different opinions from one another. And they might care less about what other schools do in this area, but some of them very strongly want to be allowed to do something and others do not. Uh, and that, in terms of giving the additional year of eligibility uh, to, to athletes who play in spring sports, 
there are probably some schools who feel that they want to bring these athletes back, both to give them the opportunity and to make money off them, uh, especially in sports such as baseball, which for a limited number of schools are revenue generating. Uh, there are other schools that probably feel, listen, we've already recruited a new class and that's going to give us too many athletes and these people are graduating anyway. What the heck are we going to do with a whole world of athletes who graduate who are here? Do we now have to put them into our graduate programs for free? And they probably don't want to deal with that situation and they want to say no. Uh, so interestingly, where the schools disagree on an overall policy, the NCAA will keep their hands off. Uh, by contrast, where if every other school has a strong view that they're willing not to do something as long as you can prevent other schools from doing it as well, uh, then you will have consistent rules. And especially things about increasing economic opportunity for college athletes uh, is where you find the cartel behavior most likely uh, to universally preclude behavior. All right, I want to go back to Paul Feinbaum. He said, and I'm paraphrasing here, with any luck, the NC2A won't exist two years from now. Would that be a good thing or a bad thing? Uh, that would be a wonderful thing. And first, you know, if that was the continuation of the quote, uh, I apologize for my response to Paul Feinbaum before. Uh, I had taken his earlier quote in a very different light when you said he said game over NCAA. Um, if the NCAA doesn't exist in two years, that would be a wonderful thing. And I'm very impressed uh, if Paul looked at it that way. Uh, the NCAA is a monopolist trade association. Uh, they, in essence, control an entire marketplace for college sport. Uh, and implement rules that are collusion to the detriment of athletes. Uh, generally, when we see this type of collusion, it's found to be illegal. There is no reason why we need an NCAA, uh, and especially not in sports like college football, because most, if not all, of these same rules can be put in place at the conference level. Uh, but I at least if the rules are put in place at the conference level, uh, you will see intercompetition amongst conferences, which means maybe a conference like the Big Ten theoretically could choose to have a rule that says we are not going to allow our schools to pay athletes. Uh, but they run the risk that another major conference, such as the SEC, could liberalize the rules and allow it. And then the Big Ten would have a choice, liberalize their own rules or lose some of the top athletes. That's the way the free market traditionally works. In fact, while the NCAA is now talking about running to Congress and seeking an antitrust exemption, which is at the same time they want to give these limited nil rights to athletes, they want to take all the rights away in entirety, uh, what I consider to be the unfortunate miscarriage of justice is that the Department of Justice has not affirmatively brought an antitrust case against the NCAA. If there is any trade association out there with the perhaps the exception of the National Rifle Association that needs a closer look, it's the NCAA. And when 1,200 member colleges get together and pass rules that say, not only will we not pay or our athletes are allowed them to sign endorsements, but we won't let you do that either. Uh, that sounds like a classic group boycott, uh, as well as a restraint on potential wages of athletes. And that does it for this edition of Sports Focus. Thanks to our guest, Mark Edelman. Thanks also to producer Laura Field. And as always, thanks to you for listening. Cheers. Cheers.
Thanks to Richard Southall, Mark Nagel, and Deborah Southall at the College Sport Research Institute at the University of South Carolina for their research and guidance and for access to CSRI's international network of sources. Sports Focus is a service of UNC's Hussman School of Journalism and Media.